Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Ricky Wilde. This is Unsung Heroes. I'm here with Jake Wood. Hello. Um, and we've had a fantastic time with Graham Goldman. What a guest. He's a lovely man. He is a lovely man. How do you know Graham Goldman? I know Graham from actually from years ago. He was signed to the same record label that I was signed to, UK Records. That's when I first met him. But I've got to know him a lot better at the Sods. Um, yeah, what um, are the Sods, Ricky? Just so um, people the Society listen. of Distinguished Songwriters, and there's a load of writers. We all get together, uh, three state dues, culminating in a ladies' night at the end of the year. Mm. It's a it's a wonderful society, and there's some incredible writers. One of them being Graham, and because of the sods, I've got to know Graham a lot better than I had before. I've had some great chats and some fascinating conversations with him, and I just knew that he'd be a great subject for Unsung Heroes. Yeah, he's worked with so many different people. He's had an amazing career. I mean, I wasn't um, uh, like Graham Goldman is not a name that would leap out to me. I don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily know the name, but as soon as you start mentioning some of the songs he's written and the people he's worked for. Yeah. So like straight away, you, you, you know this guy's career, you know, going back for years and years is, you know, legend. I mean, what are some of the stuff he's done? I mean, you, you know more than I do, but well, Dreadlock he's, Holiday. He's, he's and written uh, tracks like Bus Stop for the Hollies. Um, obviously, all the 10cc stuff, I'm Not In Love, uh, Rubber Bullets, Donna, Mandy Fly Me, Dreadlock Holiday. And uh, he also worked with an incredible artist called Andrew Gold um, under the name of Wax smash it with Bridge to Your Heart and and together they wrote a beautiful song called Ready to Go Home uh, which is one of my personal favourites I think it's a beautiful song that was uh, covered by Morton Harkett from AHA and uh, who did a beautiful version of that um, but he's just an incredible writer and, and um, just comes up with some beautiful chords quite proggy in parts and I just love the way he writes it's very very interesting for me and I think it's probably worth let's mention it now Rick that on each episode people and the people 
people we're interviewing talk about tracks, the stuff that they've written. You talk about that um, that cover there, Ready to Go Home. I'd love to hear that. So yeah. what we're going to do for each episode is do a Spotify link. Yeah. I think it'll be sort of in the in the notes. In the, yeah. So if you have a look at your notes for each episode, there'll be a link, won't there, to, yeah. to a Spotify for each one of these podcasts. And each one will have a playlist of all the tracks that you've talked about and whoever our guests talk about each week. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that's really exciting as well. You can go and listen to all the stuff and give you some sort well, of context. That's it. Of, and, and rather than play uh, little clips of it, you'll be able to hear the song in its entirety. And you can hear for yourself just what a genius the guy is. Um, there's another guest there as well. Uh, on this day, wasn't it Graham Pleath? Yeah, well, I Graham, think he's yeah. writing with Graham Goldman at the moment. They're working together. They've done a lot of work together. He's and, an interesting um, guy as well, isn't he? Yeah, well, Graham's an incredible talent. Graham used to be the keyboard player in our band when when we did our first tour. Wonderful keyboard player, amazing writer. Most notably, the biggest hit he had was with Sonic. Um, feel so good fantastic tune and um, yeah it's really lovely to have them all together it's, mm. a, it's a lovely vibe yeah and as you can hear yeah Graham Pleaf passionate knowledgeable yeah. just interesting guy and it really absolutely good chat. so listen we, we were at Graham's house uh, yeah as you said we were welcomed in a nice yeah. cup of tea there was yeah. a dog running around I remember yeah, yeah the sun was streaming through the windows yeah it was a beautiful day and um, we were joined by Sean Vincent who was on the first podcast that we did we felt very relaxed and it's lovely to be able to have that experience with him. I think we should crack on. Let's yeah, get, absolutely. Let's, let's get it on. So here we go. This is Unsung Heroes. Uh, Graham Goldman. Enjoy. Graham, we're here. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. We've known each other for many, many years. <laughs> many years. I, I remember years ago we were signed to the same record label, UK Records. Yes. And I actually remember at the tender age of about 10 or 11 in Manchester going into Strawberry Studios. Yes. And you, all you guys were there, and yeah. I remember meeting you then very briefly. Yeah. You might not remember that, but... I, but Do you know, funnily enough, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was a very unremarkable child. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so thank you for coming. Um, we're also here with Graham Pleath. Uh, Graham, we go back from our very first tour with my beautiful sister, Kim, and you were our keyboard player. I was, yeah, 1982, first gig Copenhagen, was it? I seem to remember. Oh my God, you've got a better memory than me. I think so. I might be wrong, actually. No, I think you're right. I think it was. Was it? Yep. Had some great times on that tour. Fantastic, yeah. And then years later, you've gone to be a songwriter, smashing it with Sonique. That was great, yeah. That was 99. And also, you've been working with Graham. I have. We've been working together for 13 years, I think, now. We have, yeah. We first met on a session that uh, Graham was producing for Tony Christie. We got on really well. And we've worked on and off... Yeah, together for the sure. last 13 years. Yeah. You were born in Stockport? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first edit. <laughs> That's first edit, yeah. We'll try saying you were born in Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> Graham. <laughs> so you were born in Manchester? I was. Your Wikipedia says Stockport. <laughs> well, that just shows you what Wikipedia know. <laughs> what did I tell you on the way down here? <laughs> Do not trust, trust Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Do not trust Wikipedia. So you're born in Manchester. What was the music scene like for you in those days? Uh, well, growing up in Manchester, sort of during my early teens, the, uh, the music scene was amazing. I mean, it always has been because it's a university city. There's lots of clubs, lots of places for people to play. Particularly during the early 60s, there were so many bands coming through town, I mean, every week. Like one week the Stones would be playing, the next week the Beatles would be playing. 
mm. kinks, the animals. And did you see all these guys live? I did. Wow. Yeah, yard birds, just amazing. Um, but it was all about the music for us. And how old were you then going to I'd those I'd say sort of 16, 17, going around those clubs. Amazing. What yeah. time? Those were my sort of formative years. I mean, and earlier, there were other influences, but those years certainly uh, informed what I was going to do later on. So how did they influence you? What, what, was it the chords? Was it the lyrics? Or was it the vibe? Or? Well, I, I first sort of became seriously aware of music when I was about seven years old. When I was 11, I was bought my first guitar. And this was an era where we were going over from the sort of big band era into American sort of rock and roll people like Little Richard, the Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, mm. Eddie Cochran. These people were being played, Elvis. So that's when I sort of really got interested in music and wanted to play. And one of the most important things was actually the Skiffle era mm -hmm. and Lonnie Donegan, Lonnie Donegan uh, yeah. who inspired so many of us uh, mm -hmm. of a certain age to yeah. pick up a guitar. Yeah. Uh, and then really it was the Beatles that inspired me more than anybody else to actually start writing songs because I was in a band with Kevin Godley called The Mockingbirds and we tried to get sort of music publishers in Denmark Street to give us a song but nobody would so I, I, I thought I'm going to have a go at doing this myself and that's really how I started. And one of those songs that um, with The Mockingbirds was For Your Love. Yeah it was um, yeah. Which finished up being a, a smash hit. Yeah for The Yardbirds. How did that feel that The Yardbirds having such a big hit with that and it not Working for you guys, for you, you must uh, have been gutted. I wasn't gutted at all. <laughs> I wasn't. I, everybody says that to me. I, I was, first of all, I was a massive fan of the Yardbirds. The Mockingbirds recorded that track with another track, and our record company rejected For Your Love. So they, they didn't want it, you know. So yeah, that, yeah. that's when it got placed with the Yardbirds. Yeah. I was absolutely over the moon, Brian, you know. I loved it. I thought it was great because, I, as I said, I, I, I was a massive fan of the Yardbirds anyway. Wow, amazing. Yeah. So that must have been a real buzz hearing it on the radio. Was that the first, that, that was your first track that you'd wrote? Yeah, it was the first song that was recorded by another artist that became a hit, yeah. Amazing. I was uh, 19 at the time. So, Graham, you've been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, which is part of America's National Academy of Music. Yeah. Um, what do those sort of accolades mean to you? Uh, well, I was very proud, honoured, in fact, to be uh, part of that uh, company. You know, if you, it's really all the major songwriters of the, of the world, yeah. uh, contemporary songwriters, are, are in there. And it was just uh, amazing to be given that award. And how did that work? Did they just phone you up and tell you that? And then you got... Uh, was yes. there a ceremony there? Yeah. Um, I got a call from someone at BMI yeah. uh, to say... We've got some good news for you. I said, Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're going to be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And uh, the ceremony took place in, in New York, and there's a dinner, and then someone, another artist, will sing one of your songs, and then you're, if you're a singer, uh, an artist as well, you get up and do one of your songs. Wow. So it was quite interesting because actually it wasn't that I didn't take me that long to decide which song I was going to sing. I chose Bus Stop, a song I wrote for the Hollies, because to me that was the song that, of all my, the songs I've written, is sort of one of my favourites. 
yeah. Is there, is there a song that stands out for you that you were really, really proud of that was never a single but you think should have been? There's a song I wrote with Andrew Gold called Ready to Go Home that we do in, in the 10CC concert now uh, because it was the last single that we ever put out. Um, for 10CC? Yes, it came out under the name of 10CC, although it was recorded by myself and, and Andrew. The song has been covered, but it's not... Morton Harkett did it, um, and it's a sort of song that uh, has a kind of spirituality about it, and uh, I recommend people have a listen to it. And what was it like working with Andrew Gold? I love working with Andrew. Andrew, as a sort of songwriting partner... Uh, was amazing. We were like uh, brothers, really. I first met him through through 10CC. Our record company in America wanted us to work with an American singer, songwriter, producer, mm-hmm. and Andrew's name was mentioned. And, and I, as soon as I, they mentioned him, I said, absolutely, we we got to work with him. And it was an absolute dream. Yeah. Not long after we worked with him, uh, Eric Stewart and I split up. And I continued working with Andrew. Uh, we formed a band called Wax during the 80s. We had a, a couple of hits. Bridge to Your Heart. Bridge to Your Heart and Right Between the Eyes. It was a very, very happy relationship. Um, he sadly passed away in 2011. But I'm glad that I'm still playing that song because yeah. it always reminds me of him. Yeah. I'd like to talk about probably one of my favourite songs that you've ever written. And I think for a lot of people as well, I'm not in love. What a stunning song, mate, I have to yeah. say. I mean, I was listening to this yesterday. Not just the chords and, and the beautiful melody and the beautiful lyrics, but the production yeah. was just so in advance of its time with, the, with the, yeah. all those vocals in the, in the background. I'd like you to tell me um, your memories of that song okay. and, and where did it come from? Where, where were the, what was the inspiration behind that? Okay, well, Eric and I had never actually written a a proper love song. We'd done sort of pastiches, but we didn't want to do sort of any old love song. And Eric came up with the perfect title, which was, of course, I'm not, I'm not in so love. So simple, isn't it? But yeah, so simple. Yeah. So, so great. We started writing it. Um, I had the opening chords, this suspended chord that resolves. Could, uh, could you play that for uh, us? Yeah, it's actually interesting because when I played it, I keep the top E and B string open. So it... <laughs> It's always playing through, the, but it's got. So there's two new chords that I'm going to learn when I get back home. So the kind of chords kind of hover. I think. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and when we wrote it, sort of musically, it was even a matter of really sort of just. Eric came up with one part, I came up with another part. It went like that. Yeah. The uh, middle part I wrote just came out in one... It's a bit high for me to... I'm going to do it in a lower key. Ooh, you wait a long time for me. Ooh, you wait a long time. I don't know whether it happened to you as a songwriter, but when the words and music just come out yeah. together, yeah. they're like preformed. Yeah, and again, so simple that, that those, those Very lyrics simple, yeah. and repeating the, those lyrics rather than finding a, a rhyme for another line. Yeah, it just it, why not just felt ha- right, yeah. It just sounds so perfect. Yeah. 
So the production on that. Right. Was okay. So we recorded it once as a kind of a, a bossa nova sort of. Uh... See that Wikipedia fact is is correct. No, I didn't find that on Wikipedia. Ah, I knew okay. that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind we're of gonna, we're going to talk about the bossa nova thing, whether how that all worked and okay. what happened. Yeah. So it was more like there's a. So, um, anyway, that, that didn't work out no. very well. <laughs> and uh, we, we, all, we all hated it. Uh, and, and with everything that 10CC recorded at that time, anything we didn't like, we erased. We didn't want anybody to accidentally get hold of it. So it's kind of a pity, yeah. looking back uh, yeah, now, it would yeah, have been right. interesting. Yeah. Um, however, it was really uh, down to Kevin and Lowell who came up with the ideas of, A, changing the rhythm of the song and also the idea of originally was to do it all with voices no instruments at all what we did was we put a rhythm track down just myself playing an electric rhythm guitar eric playing fender Rhodes, and kevin playing a mini moog on a kind of bass drum sound and the idea was we do that do everything else and then take that off so we had something take to... Take the Moog off. Uh, take every, all the three instruments off. Right. So we would just be left with only voices. But we needed the rhythm track to, to sing like to. a guide track, I guess. Yeah, a guide track, yeah. But even at that point, I remember there was something going on with it. There was some kind of magic about it. So then we decided, OK, so we'll make... We'll do everything else. And we wanted to have a massive, like, choir on it but we didn't know how to get the choir we didn't want to get a a real choir in but I think it was Kevin came up with the idea that why don't we record onto the multi-track a singing one note mix that down to a stereo pair of that one note and create a loop so we can have that note constantly uh, throughout the whole song. Throughout the whole thing. Wow. We did that with every note we needed wow. on the multitrack and then mixed that down to a stereo pair. Yeah. So we had, when we were mixing it down, yes, it the is. four of us were sat at the board playing, our, bringing like in and out those four. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. The board became a keyboard. Um, and that really made it. Gosh. But I, I learned something that, it's still true today. If you've got a good song, the production ideas come easy. Yeah. Everything so kind true. of works. You don't so have to true. work at it. You don't have to, what the hell are we going to do here? But can you imagine it working now if you had have got a choir? It wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been the no. same. Also, I mean, our voices, there was no auto-tune. So yeah. things are slight, not perfect. So there's a kind of slight chorus. Which makes thing. it perfect. Yeah, it makes it. Uh, well, it makes it. It makes it human and very emotional. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, so as we were building it up, we didn't... The interesting thing was, it wasn't like today if we went to put, get samples and we'd go, oh, try, let's try this sound, you go, and it's all there, yes, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I like that, I don't like it. Yeah. We didn't know what was going to happen. No. And that was the exciting part. Yeah, so we're adding yeah. these voices and we're going, wow, this is amazing. Wow. That was interesting about recording in those days, isn't it? These days, you, you can audition lots of sounds and yeah, lots of ideas, yeah. whereas in those days, you had to have an idea and then go with it. Yeah, stick with it. That's right. And also, you were limited, of course. I think that was done on 16 tracks, so wow. we couldn't have had multi-tracking 
loads of other things and you know because you worry about you know it goes down each generation yeah, you get degradation yeah, yeah that, that, that you lose the quality of the sound so every idea that we tried worked brilliantly and then i think it was lol came up with the idea of saying we need someone to say big boys don't cry but it should be a girl it's the only time actually a girl has appeared on a 10cc record i think who was the girl uh, uh, kathy who was uh, the secretary in the studio so we brought her in. I think she got it in, like, three takes. We just said, just say, big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. Or be quiet, big boys don't cry. Immortalised, amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so every idea worked. And, and we, I think what happened was that we, we knew we'd created something great, but none of us said, oh, this would be a hit. To us, it was just like a magical album track. Yeah. Um, it was only when we started playing it to other other people that everyone said, oh, that could be a hit. And it was a smash. It was, yeah, worldwide. You must have been absolutely staggered at the success of that. We it were. was number one everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and it obviously still gets played. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. I remember it being played in my house when I was growing up. It was just always on. Yeah, uh, we didn't, we had no idea... But do you have an, an idea always that, you, that this is going to be the one or whatever? You, you don't really no, you don't, don't know. You don't. And that, that's kind uh, of a, a nice thing about it. You, yeah. can't, you can't predict what's going to be successful. Well, we, we, we knew we, it was successful in that we had succeeded yeah. in creating something special. Yeah. And way before that, what's the first thing? Was it Donna? Donna was the first hit that was originally going to be a B-side to a song that Eric Stewart and I had written. The song, the song we wrote was called Waterfall and uh, Apple Records were interested in putting it out. And we thought, well, okay, if they're going to put it out, we need a B-side just in case they go for it. And because we'd written the A-side, we said to uh, Kevin and Lol, come up with a B-side. And they, All they the came best up things with, come with up from B-sides, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and there you go. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, even as we were recording it, we thought, there's something special about this. Yeah. Anyway, it never happened with Apple Records. And um, Eric uh, knew Jonathan King, who'd started UK Records. Yes. We got it to him and he, he came up to see us. And uh... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He said, I love this. He said, have you got a name? Well, we didn't have a name because we were kind of born in the studio. You know, we weren't born on the road. And he said, what about 10cc? And we, we said, okay. We didn't care, you know. I love that you agreed so quickly. Yeah, we agreed so very quickly. And uh, he said, I had a dream last night, this was the night before he came up to see us, that I was standing in front of the Hammersmith Odeon and on the hoarding it said 10cc, the best band in the world. And you pretty much were. I like to think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> it doesn't get much bigger than what, what you guys were. You were well, absolutely special. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, it was a most important part of my life. I'm sort of still bearing the fruits of it. Yeah, amazing. Um, I'm just picking on songs that, that I'd listened to. How, yeah. how did you come up with the chords for I'm Mandy, Fly Me? All those different sections. It's, uh, it, it's we did very a lot proggy, of that. but it's just so mental. There are certain parts, it just suddenly stops, and then it goes into a totally different yeah. rhythm break, everything. And the chords, it's beautiful. Um, well, I'd always liked that idea. I mean, in For Your Love, it goes to a completely different rhythm in the middle. So I was always sort of prone to doing that anyway. Yeah. But I think we had very good instincts because you can't just throw anything together. There's got to be some kind of relationship between them, even though if you listen to them, you think, oh, these are three or four different songs. How can they go together? Yeah. But it's having that gift, I suppose it is, of, or, or your instinct tells you that this will work. And it just did. That song Eric and I wrote, but we weren't ha- happy with the lyrics uh, and handed it over to Kevin Godley, who rewrote the lyric, and it was amazing what he Incredible. did. Incredible. What story? Yeah, yeah. I, I got the idea for the song from an American Airlines advert. There was a hoarding, I think it was near Cromwell Road, and mm. I saw it, and it said, I'm Susie, fly me to Miami. Yeah. And I thought, what do you mean, fly me to Miami, <laughs> Susie? What, what are you talking about? You know, there was some kind of underlying message there. And it all just intrigued me, and that's how... But I didn't like the name Susie, and I came up with the name Mandy. Much nicer name. Uh, and the, the name of my missus, actually. <laughs> all right, well, there you go. <laughs> um, so when you, there's that, the middle break, which I can understand going into that. But how the hell did you get the section coming out of that? They, oh, that, yeah, I saw walking on yeah. the water. How did you work that out? I don't remember, but we just did it. It's just amazing. <laughs> you see, the thing is this. We worked, the four of us, on our own. We were completely self-contained. We had our own studio. Eric was an engineer. We did everything for ourselves. Yeah. For nobody else. Yeah. There was no one from the record company coming down saying... Mm, I think you should, uh, like, do the chorus, repeat the chorus or anything like that. What are they going to tell us, seriously, without being arrogant? So we just did what we wanted. I mean, some things we tried and it did, that didn't work, and other things we went, wow, that's great. Yeah. I that, think we were, were unafraid to try. Yeah. We'd do anything. And a pretty unique situation, because in those days, I think a lot of bands were kind of guided by record company yeah. advice and A&R men and... So, yeah, that's quite a unique situation, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, we would just hand over the tapes to the record company. Final Masters. Yeah. We didn't need that. I mean, we'd play them the stuff, you know, as a courtesy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we didn't need any, any artistic input from them. Yeah. 
Was that quite sorry? Was that quite unusual at that time to have yeah. complete creative freedom? I think it, I think it was, or I think we were now getting towards a stage where bands were given more freedom because we were moving into a more progressive sort of music. So it wasn't like traditional pop songs being written. You know, people were stretching out, and really, it wasn't uh, in the record company's sort of remit to have anything to do with it and and good and i think a lot of record companies went fine no problem go and do it you know um you were saying earlier on about all the tempo changes and you said that was something that you did like for your love um, mandy flow yeah. me art for art's sake there are a few tempo things going on there yeah where, where did that come from what influenced you to do that i find when i'm writing a song that i get to the point where with all songwriters you know Things must change now. There must be something else that yeah. happens yeah. because otherwise, I'm, however beautiful that verse is, I need to leave it yes. and come back to it later on. And I just think it was part of that. I don't know whether I'd heard before For Your Love, I'd heard other records or any other songs that had that in, but it mm. kind of, it just felt natural to me to, to do it. Um, and yeah, as you say, we'd use that device quite a lot in turn CC. Mm general question about songwriting yeah someone that's written such massive songs and has been in the business for so long do you think that now we're what we 70 years into the modern music business or something like that? i don't know it depends when you think it started but is it harder to write an original song now because so many have been written and when you start to write you think oh no that's this oh, oh, oh no hang on that's that or or is it always possible to write something original? I think it's always possible to write something original. You know, this sort of using all the notes up and all the different combinations. <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? Right. I mean, the, so many melodies that go with different chords, different rhythms, so many combinations that we'll, I don't think will ever run out. It, it can't happen. It's, it's, it's billions of them. <laughs> I do find myself coming up with a melody... And then about a month later, listening to it and thinking, oh, Christ, that sounds a little bit like another song, you know, or another chorus. Yeah. And so I do find that a fair bit. I think we're all influenced. Everything we do is... Subliminally. Someone, yeah, from someone else. I mean, there was a time I did rewrite a couple of Beatles songs. But I realised yeah, 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 yeah. it in time that I was... Uh, well, not the whole thing, but bits of it. I remember writing a song with Kenny Thomas and the verse was all sounding all lovely and we wrote chorus. We thought, ah, oh, this is a killer. And then I turned the radio on the next day and it was exactly the same. It wasn't even similar. It was exactly yeah. the same. So I must have heard that yeah. and not realised it at the time when I was writing the chorus. Yeah. Talking of, of songwriting, do you go on a lot of retreats? Have you done a yeah. lot of those? Did you do one in the real world at Peter yes. Gabriel's place? Yes. And were there other writers there that you respected and knew of? Or? Yes. I think it was the last one I did. Nick Kershaw was there and Beth Nelson Chapman. Okay. And I wrote with both of them. Yeah. Um, the song I wrote with Beth, uh, we both recorded for our last albums. Called, what, a song called Come to, Come to Mine with a guy called Kevin Montgomery. And I love working with her. I'm actually going to be working with her again in, uh, in June. Um, I think a lot of people that aren't songwriters think that everything you write is brilliant straight away. And it does, doesn't kind of work that way. Well, it certainly doesn't for me. Um, Whatever I'm working on, I always think this is the best thing I've ever At the time, yeah. been involved yeah. in, yeah. And then it takes its sort of rightful place. Historically, there are songs that I've thought, it sounds like a hit to me. Yeah. I mean, in the days when 
you know, we were having hits. And the, but there's other songs like I remember one in particular uh, when Andrew and I wrote "Bridge to Your Heart." We thought it was good. We loved it because yeah. we'd done it. You know, otherwise we wouldn't have finished it. But I remember we played it to um, our producer Chris Neal. He said, "That's the one." I said, I "Said really? You think?" He said, "Yeah." And he was right. Yeah. Uh, so great, the songwriter great. isn't always the best judge. But the, the production on that, again, was astounding. Yeah. That, that, that is so, such a big sound. And credit to Andrew, uh, f- because our demos, that was very, very much like the demo. Oh, okay. And we just really reproduced it yeah. uh, in, in Where the studio. Where did you record it? It was uh, West Side Studios. Okay. The vocals and the drum sound, it's massive, yeah, really massive. big. Yeah, and yeah. well, credit to Chris for that. You know, I mean, he was great and also a great vocal producer. Yeah. Um, love working with him. And yeah, he's, amazing, he's a, he's amazing, amazing talent as well. Yeah. yeah Talking of producers, question really for all three of you guys: um, How important as a writer is the producer to turning the idea in your head into the into the finished thing? Is there people that you you know that can do a particular type of song, or, or you particularly like working with? How does that relationship work? I, well, I think it depends if the song's born in the studio or you've actually written it out of the studio. I mean, when I'm writing with with Graham, I mean, he's on the guitar, I'm on the piano in my lounge, and and then it's kind of it, it kind of grows between us in the studio. So it's not like oh, let's send this off to someone to turn it into a hit. Hmm. I mean, I think when you try and write a hit as well, that doesn't work either. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's what I think about that. I think it's. Um, different people have their trademarks you know back in the day if you wanted the trevor horn sound you go sure. to trevor horn because no one else sounded like him but i think if you you don't have rules red lines if you will um you can do anything yeah and, and it turns into something a little bit more original graham and i've worked together as i said for, for years we we the song is king what the song demands the song must have you know and we try different ideas and we know what feels right and it's all instinctive we generally agree as well on what it should be. And if there's a debate, which happens now and again, you instinctively know, you have to have trust in each other that yeah, yeah. you go, you know what, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> is it easy to know when, it, when a song is finished? When, that's, when, well, that's a very interesting question yeah. because I think that is one of the most important things. It's like finishing a painting, you know, you can just overdo it yeah, and, and suddenly yeah. it's gone. To know when it's finished is quite an important part of the songwriter's skill. Is that something you learn over years, do you think, or is it instinct? You don't learn anything. <laughs> it's, all, it's all instinctive. This feels, that's it. Or this feels right, this feels right. Nothing to do, it's not clever. It's, a, it's just a, a gift. But is, is there always a temptation to add more? There must be. No, no, no. no. I don't think so, I think. There is a, a point where it comes to natural end. Um, I think being able to produce via computers and being able to save all the sounds and saves all the settings and the mixing and, and all the levels, um, it gives you a chance to live with a mix for a couple of days and then you think, oh, the vocal's a little bit loud in that section. Go in the studio, boot it up, bring it down a little bit. So you can really fine-tune it, which is totally different how everyone worked in back in the mm. back in Mixes the Mixes used to be a performance in themselves. Yeah. Yes. And, and yeah. you know, you get things wrong, but ultimately you can get them right as well. Yeah. They're, they're different, each one. Well, That's why people have... I mean, there was one track that we did with Turn CC. Uh, it was a song called, that I wrote called From Rochdale to Ocherius. Uh We could not better the rough mix yeah. where everything was just thrown up yeah. just uh, yes. just give me wow. something to take home it has yeah. a vibe if and it has we a vibe. never got it 
Again, and we use the we use the rough mat. We used to get that a lot when I was engineering back in the early nineties. Record companies would would basically come and wave a cassette at us and say, "This was the demo. We love this. We want this. You'd be yeah. better." And and to, it was really difficult because yeah. they'd captured something unique. That yeah. you, you know, with all the gear we had, we couldn't yeah. get that special no. thing. Sometimes the feeling, it yeah. was quite difficult. Well, there's been lots of demos and rough mixes that yeah. made it to the top. And that's Just probably it why, something, yeah. But it's recognising with something. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think in the air tonight, Phil Collins was a rough mix. I think you're people right. are saying, "Oh, look, the delays are out of time. There's yep. distortion on that." But it has a something, yeah. and yeah. I think yeah. he did all right. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> he did all right. Not to be said for that. Um, were, were there any mixes of, of the 10 CC stuff over the years that you've looked back on? You think, "It could have been better." No, happy, no. Happy Eric morning. was a, an amazing engineer, and remember, there were four producers in uh, 10 CC. And we had a good studio, so no, everything was sort of meticulous. And yeah. It does all sound stunning still, doesn't it? it I mean, does. it, does, does, it hasn't it aged. Does. It's, it's it does. another thing, I think, at that particular time, recording and the understanding of it was sort of peaked. I don't think it's got any better. We've got better tools, maybe, but, yeah. but actually yeah. the... the the peak of audio sort of clarity and, and warmth and all of that was, was that, that yeah. era. I don't think it's got better since then. Graham, I'd like to ask you, could you talk us through your experience of working with Sonique? Well, I think where I came from, from the classical music side of life, I, I kind of got involved with Sonique, not knowing who she was or anything about dance music. And we just created what we created and... Uh, and at the time, one of the, the DJs involved in the management company, Judge Jules, who had a radio show on Radio 1, um, I had this bizarre situation where I could I'd finish the tracks, I'd mix them. He'd say, well, I'll play it on the radio at 6.30 tonight so you can just check it. And I'd go, oh, right, yeah, maybe a bit more hi-hat. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we'd sort of cut a slate and he'd say, well, I'm playing down at the cross tonight in the club. So you want to come down and check it out in the dance mix? So I'd go down there and, and I'd go... Oh, right, yeah, the kick's a bit loud, or whatever. I, yeah. I had this bizarre mixing situation. I remember when I took that to Abbey Road to master it, the guy wow. said, you don't need to do anything, it's, it's absolutely right. I mean, yeah. But I had this... That's a compliment. I had this extreme, yeah. extreme... Well, I could play it Radio 1 and live clubs before it was sort of put out. But anyway, we did that, and uh, I remember it got to number 36, which at the time we thought, wow, this is pretty good. Heard it on the radio, how yeah. exciting. Yeah. The next track that came along was Feel So Good, and we were in the studio, and we created it all there. And again, I was breaking all the rules. Yeah. I didn't know you had to use a, a 909 on the, yeah. on the kick. And, yeah. uh, and, and I had this idea of putting strings on, and uh, people said, you can't do that. You can't put strings on a dance track. And I went, oh, yeah. sorry, I, I don't know the rules. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I know the DJ Norman Jay came in, and he said, oh, that sounds quite good. And it's yeah. all a bit vague like that. Yeah. So anyway, so Feel So, Feel so Good came about. Yeah. And uh, I didn't hear it on the radio at all. It came into number 24. I thought, well, that's that, another, another failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it went off to America, yeah. top five, came back over here, number one, wow. seven million records later. It's like, wow. okay, that's, must have, something's worked. Don't put but, about. Uh, but, but the thing is, I, a lot of the, the, the biggest successes I've had I put the secret of my success down to the little that I know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, 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 well, I've worked in so many different genres, you know, whether it be, you know, big band or Celtic or folk or jazz yeah, or... Yeah. It's... I just kind of go into it and just enjoy Which doing think it. I think a lot of that is because, I mean, especially with the dance fraternity, you're right, there's, there's very strict rules, aren't there? And yeah. because they're all sticking to them and you're not, that, that gives you the edge, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's bizarre, of course, when, when I, I did Feel So Good and then I did the first album, which did really well, at that point... Next album came along, enormous budget, 
suddenly there was six A&R people, a bit like you were saying, when I was doing Feel So Good, yeah. I didn't have anybody breathing down my neck saying, we want a hit, we want a hit, we've got to make a hit, we've got to have all the latest yeah. sounds, and yeah. I did what I wanted to do. And mm. um, when the next album came out, everybody wanted this, and can I do that, and can you put that in, and edit that, make that... Yep, and it, it all changes. Yeah, they said, no, no, bring me a hit. Mm. And I, I did say, if I'd have bought you Feel So Good, mm. you would have said... No, 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 bring me a hit. Yeah. And the A&R said, yeah, basically, we probably would have said that. Yeah. Graham, I'd like to get back to writing. Yeah. Um, you've worked with Kirsty. Kirsty McCall. Yeah. Do you have any memories of working with Kirsty? Very fond memories. Um, writing sessions with her were kind of like maybe about an hour waiting for her to make some superb coffee and listening to uh, sort of Latin American music. It kind of put us in the mood. And... Um, well, there were two songs that we wrote together that she recorded. One was called Tragedy, which was on her last album. Another song which was a B-side of her, her, her last single. So for someone to be taken from us, such a, well, a talent was, uh, and, and she was in a very good place in her life as well. She was having success with her records and uh, shocking, in her private it, life as well. Uh, it was a real shock, uh, yeah. Terrible. Can I just ask you, Graham? What what's some of the um, your favourite covers of songs you've written? What are some of the favourite artists that have covered your songs? Uh, Richie Havens did a very interesting, very different cover of "I'm Not in Love" that was so kind of wow. What made you think of that? But it worked. You know, it just it sounds great. Um, we must just ask as well about new music. What What are you listening to these days? What What's, what's pressing your buttons? Uh, well, the stuff that I'm writing with Graham at the moment, that's what I'm listening to, 24 <laughs> 7, I think. It's the, the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's taking up all my time. Yeah. But honestly, it's, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not listening to anything outside at the moment. I'm just yeah. completely focused on what we're doing, yeah. 100%. And Graham, are there any acts uh, out at the moment? I was quite taken with Alt J, yeah. their first album, which is quite some time ago now. But there's an artist called uh, Sigrid. That yeah, uh, she's amazing. Yeah, she makes some really great yeah. records. But like fans. Graham, I'm so immersed in what we're doing. Even I'm writing in my sleep. I'm getting up at night. I'm so involved in it, right, with lyric ideas or yeah. music ideas. And uh, so it is, it is a 24-hour uh, job. I often say to Ariel in the middle of the night, I say, please, turn the music down. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, you can't because it's in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Um, while you were talking about songwriting in general, have you always worked in partnership with other writers? or, or uh, And what do you enjoy most? Do I know? like doing both, I have to say. Mm. When you're working with someone else, they I think they bring out different things in you. Like Nashville is quite a good example because, you know, I was born in Manchester, but I can go to Nashville and suddenly, because I... I've been listening to music for so many years and musical sensibility that a lot of the Nashville writers have, that will bring out something different in me. Like a common language? A, definitely a common language. That, that's the beautiful thing about it. And we know what's right and what's wrong. What makes a great song for you, Graham? I don't know. It's just either got it or it ain't. And that's the beautiful thing. And I, my one fear is that one day a computer will create a song and I'll go, that is fantastic. That would be a bad time day for me <laughs> and all songwriters. <laughs> I don't think that would ever happen, will it? I think, this, this, yeah. you know, writing songs seems to be It could so happen human, by yeah. chance, you know. Yeah, maybe. It, it's such, you're right, it's such a human experience. Mm. 
We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, I've got to say that this has been a fascinating chat with you guys. Uh, Thank you. It's been lovely hearing what makes you tick and where he came up with these ideas for these amazing songs you're responsible for and you've it's just unbelievable thank you it's been a real honor for me to be here with you guys um we've enjoyed it too yeah, yeah. And, and mr plea thank you so much yeah, my pleasure i've got many fond memories of us on tour me too. yeah no, it was great it was back good. on the days and it's a uh, crazy crazy days but wonderful days and uh, i remember remember it well yeah and it's lovely yeah. that, that you, the two grams have it's got great, together yeah. making yeah. wonderful music still yeah um, well, and we live very close to each other. It's very handy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, Graham, do you have any advice for any songwriters or producers listening in? Um, yeah, well, as far as songwriting is concerned, it helps if you're writing something that is um, sort of from the heart, maybe some sort of experience. It doesn't have to be sort of exactly what's happened to you, but that, that sometimes helps. I find it, it's easier to get lyrics about songs that, you know, experiences that I've had myself. But I think most importantly is to try and be original. Try and not copy everybody else if you can, both really you know, musically as well as lyrically. Uh, it's very difficult to, um, you know, get songs placed if you're a professional songwriter mm -hmm. because so many artists write their own stuff. Yeah. You and I included. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, try and be original. You know, go out on a limb. You know, take chances. How hard is that, Graham, to find your own sound? I think it comes after, you know, just experimenting and seeing what reactions you get. Obviously, if you've written a song and it becomes a massive hit, then you're laughing. Yeah. Whatever you're doing is the right thing. It's being a little bit brave. And, you know, I've done things on my own and with 10CC that you'd look at them and go, that's a bit bonkers, isn't it? But you go, we like it and we want to do it, so we're going to do it. And it's, it seems to have worked out. Graham, thank you so much for joining thank us you. here on Unsung Heroes. It's been fabulous talking to you. Thank you. Wow, what a fantastic interview that was. Graham Goldman, a legend. Thank you so much to Graham for inviting us into his house and sharing such incredible stories and giving us such a fascinating insight into how he writes and what makes him tick. I think it's really important to document all this kind of stuff. It's the whole reason why we're doing this. You have been listening to Unsung Heroes with me, Ricky Wilde, Jake Wood and Lee Bennett. Produced and created by myself and Jake Wood for Wildwood Productions. With music and editing, again by myself, Ricky Wilde. Artwork by Scarlet Wild and hosted by Acast. Just to remind you that there is a link in the notes directing you to a Spotify playlist featuring all the songs we have discussed in this episode. Many thanks for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.